Um, we are in a season of Advent, uh, which is, means nine-month pregnant, which means season of expectation. It is a season of being right on the edge of your seat for what is next. Advent has this way of, of looking back, but also drawing our attention forward. It, it has all the anticipation of Christmas Eve without any of the Santa Claus. Got it? It's all of that anticipation, but, but not for gifts, but for the gift. So in this series, uh, we've been talking about this idea of connection with Jesus and anticipation. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you this, this challenge to go and find some hiding places. I sent you away to be still and calm in the arms of God. I, I recommended some churches and some quiet places to go and be still and calm. There are not that many in Franklin or Nashville, right? Like, you're going to have to search these places out. But I wanted you to go and just sit and just be still because the thing that really matters and what we talked about last week is encounter, is encounter with God. Uh, I mean, I know this happens all the time, with, especially with our teenagers. You know, we're like, we, we bring them to church, we tell them about God, and we tell them about God, we tell them about God. But man, the thing that really is going to make the difference, and I guarantee if you think back in your own faithful walk, the thing that made the difference wasn't this amazing teaching from Adam, but it was when you experienced the presence of God in your own life. Because encounter, it, it, it trumps teaching. Encounter trumps concept and all of these other things. And if you were here last week, we talked about the, the Zacchaeus encounter of Jesus inviting himself in, inviting himself in without condemnation, inviting himself only with forgiveness and hope and a future. Uh, I want to tell you about a few more encounters today. Before I do that, I want to give you a, a stocking stuffer. It's not too late. Um, the Ragamuffin Gospel uh, is a book by Brennan Manning. Have you, any, any of you ever heard of this book? All right, so put this on your wish list. Uh, 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 this would be a great thing to put in someone's stocking. This book has uh, really been rocking my world. It's been shaping a, a lot of uh, uh, this series and these teachings. And so uh, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those uh, worthwhile books. really encourage you to pick it up. Um, let's talk about some encounters. Uh, there's some, there's some really, there's some confusing stuff in the New Testament, even for me. Um, uh, there are, I think, eight different Marys in the New Testament, right? So that's pretty confusing for me sometimes to keep up of, of which Mary is this? Is this is this Magdalene? Is this the the uh, sister of Lazarus? Is this the mother of Jesus? There's there's some confusing things to me, and and one of the confusing things to me, and I'm just I'm just confessing this to you, is some of the encounters Jesus has with women. Uh, what we see, especially in the record of Jesus' life, are all of these encounters with women who, who specifically come and find themselves at Jesus' feet. And sometimes the Gospels aren't exactly clear about who or what is happening, but I want to share two encounters with you about women who find themselves at Jesus' feet from the Gospel of Luke. The first one in uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, you can read along with me on the screen if you'd like to. It simply says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
Her sister, there's one of those Marys, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was, what's that word? That's a good Christmas word for the season. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I, next slide, there we go, uh, while I do all the work. I'm doing all the work up here, Stephen. It says, tell her, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, 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 you are worried and upset over all these details. This is a great Christmas message for you. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. There's another story of a very similar encounter to this. It just happens a few chapters before. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, I, I want to share it with you briefly. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat when a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt just like the other Mary behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisees, uh, Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, which should be really concerning for all of us. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied, which is Simon just totally setting himself up right here, right? If you want to read the rest, uh, I'll, I'll let you go and, and read the rest. But, but basically, Jesus gives him this amazing teaching about, about forgiveness and debt and indebtedness and, and what this means. And Jesus comes back with these one final lines about uh, this immoral woman. I think I have that slide. Jesus says, I, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. I love these moments, these, these stories where women find themselves at Jesus' feet. And what is it that they discover there? Mary and the immoral immoral woman, what do, they, what do they find at Jesus' feet? The answer is simple. Love. They, at the feet of Jesus, discover love. They are loved by Jesus just the way they are, not the way they think they should be. Do you see that? Through love, they are delivered from the lowest depths to the shining heights where God dwells. Only love 
can do that. You know, this idea of, uh, of, of you seeking out a, a, a hiding place and coming to this encounter with God is really, the, is, is really what I desire for you is exactly what these women, what these women found at Jesus' feet. Is an experience of love. So I need some volunteers to help me. I'm so nervous when they're so excited to help. All right, you two can come up here. All right, I actually need two more. This is going to be easy. All right, so these are my headlamps. Can you put them on? You know how to do this? Put a headlamp on. Grace and Lily, we come help me too. It'll be easy. It'll be easy. Yeah, perfect. You got it. All right, headlamps for each of you. You can have the red one. Yeah. All right, what I need you to do is the four of you to, you to stand right here. Yeah, don't go over your eyes. Okay, good. Let me tighten this. Tell me when the blood stops. Okay. All right, you might just have to hold it. Okay. Can you hold it? All right, you stand there. You come stand way over here. I'm separating you from your partner. All right, right here. All right. All right, so let's, we're going to put, I'm going to turn each headlamp on. It doesn't matter if it's upside down. Some of them are upside down. All right, all right, so you might have to use your hands, but I want all of your headlamps right here pointed right at this spot, right? Right where I'm standing. All right, Stephen, go ahead. Right here, right here. Keep them all in. When I think about God's love, this is, the, this is a little bit of the picture that I get. Of God's love is this light. Keep them right here, right here. There we go. Nice. God's love shining for us, right? You guys got this? But there's this thing that happens sometimes. Uh, the uh, Mary knew about it, and the, and the moral woman knew about it. This thing called sin and pain and brokenness. And when we sin or, or when we, we hurt God or when we leave him or abandon him, I used to think that what would happen is that, that somehow God's love would be turned off. Why don't you girls just, just take your hands and cover the light? Perfect. See, when I sin or, or when I messed up, this is what I thought happened, that God's love would, would somehow be closed off from me. Any of you felt this way? I felt that I would not deserve it, and, and he couldn't be in my presence, and so he would just simply turn it off. But that's really, this is, this is really not the truth. Okay, girls, bring, bring God's love back. Let it come back. There you go. The truth is, all right, girls, I want you to keep God's love pointed right here at this spot, right? This spot, I know it's hard to see, right here at this spot. The truth is that when we sin, it's not that God somehow like turns the light off on us. What happens is that we, keep it over there, keep it over there. Don't mess up my metaphor. There we go. What happens is that we move out of it, right? We, it's easier for, some, for us sometimes to put the blame on God that we sinned and so God turned his love off, but that's not the case. That's not what happens. God love, God's love endures and shines through the darkness, right? 
Isn't that what John said about the birth of Jesus? A light has come, and in him there is no darkness. So, when Mary and the immoral woman come into Jesus' feet, they actually do something really, really, really profound. Right? Did you see it? They move into the light. And the crowds around them and the others knew that they were undeserving of it. But the light of God was there, extended to them. All right, Stephen, you can bring the lights back up. All right, how about a hand for my helpers? You girls can take a seat. Thanks. You can take these off. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you, Luxman. It's a simple idea, but it has, this, this is an important lesson for us. Have any of you felt undeserving of God's love? Man, I, I, I got to confess to you that, that sometimes that's even, that, that, that temptation has, has come to me. Uh, I recently had a, had a sabbatical season and, and went to a quiet, a really quiet <laughs> place for, for several days. In fact, I didn't speak or, or have any, any, any sound at all for four days. And people, as I was preparing for this place, several, I had several people that, that said, man, I'll be praying for you, I'll be praying for you. Man, thanks, that's awesome. And they all said the same thing, which began to be really peculiar to me. And they all used the same language. The people that were praying for me, they all said the same thing. I pray that while you're there in silence that you feel loved on by God. And I said, thanks, but in my mind, I thought, <clears throat> I'm a little macho for this. Right, I'm a pastor. I know all about the love of God. I can, I can quote the scriptures. I can, I can tell you all about it. I can tell you everything you need to know about the love of God. But what happened in those four days as I sat in silence was like the women at Jesus' feet. I experienced the love of God. And I learned something in that place when I moved intentionally back into his love, I, I, loved, I learned that it, let it, like it's there and that it exists and, and that it, he can't somehow turn it off. It's, in fact, if you look at scripture, it says that God actually is this thing. Like it would be impossible for him to somehow turn his love off to us. That's, that's just who he is. And I came to this really, really painful truth and it's what I just illustrated that if somehow I'm not experiencing the love of God, it isn't because of him, but it's because of me. And this is an issue. I want you to just pause for a second. I want you to imagine yourself coming into the light of God's love. Here's what it, what it is. God loves you if you succeed and when you fail. He loves you equally in your state of, Brennan Manning says, in your state of grace and in your state of disgrace. He loves you without caution, without regret, without boundary, without limit, without breaking point. And no matter what happens or what you do, he can't stop loving you. Amen? 
So where did you go? Why do we move? If this is something we preach and teach and, we, man, we say we believe, what is it that drives us out of that love? What is it that causes us to feel somehow unworthy of that love? I think it's probably guilt. Right? As much as we, 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 we sing the highest mountains of God's love and its enduringness in our own life, man, it seems too good to be true. I wish it for everyone else, but man, why is it such a hard pill for us to swallow for ourselves? And so we begin to doubt or question. It becomes easier for us to teach for others than to accept for ourselves. And this is a big issue. I, I want to show you how big, and it's, it's a big theological issue, but it, it's just a big issue, period. I want to share two quotes with you related to us moving ourselves outside of God's love. Here's what Archbishop Joe Ray said. He said, a sad Christian is a phony Christian, and a guilty Christian is really no Christian at all. Or does that feel heavy? Just wait, it gets better. If the Lord Jesus Christ has washed you in his own blood and forgiven you all your sins, how dare you refuse to forgive yourself? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to recognize our intrinsic worth and dignity to love ourselves humbly and, and wholesomely and to forgive ourselves as we have been forgiven. Anything less, right? Anything less is a refusal to accept God's love for us. In fact, it is a rejection of Christ's death on the cross for us as a colossal blunder. Do you see that? When we move outside of God's love, when we take that step out, really all we're saying is that Christ's sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough. I love the story of a, there's a story about a woman who had visions of Jesus. Uh, and, and of course, the, the church said, man, we've got to look into this because there are just, there are a lot of nuts out there Lots of people claim to have this vision of Jesus. We need to send somebody. And so they, they send this, this very noble and very godly priest to talk to this woman about her visions of Jesus. And the priest comes and says, tell me what, what's been happening. Tell me about these visions of Jesus. She says, man, I, I see Jesus and he speaks to me. And, and he said, okay, well, the next time you see him, I want you to ask him uh, for a list of my sins. Because those are things that I just share with him and no one else. And so uh, when you see him, I want you to say, okay, give me a list of this guy's sins so that we can verify that you really are Jesus and he'll know the truth for sure and all that kind of stuff. And the woman agrees. A few weeks later, she calls the man. She says, I've had a vision of Jesus and he's spoken to me again. The man gets in his car and drives to see her and shows up. Says, you've seen Jesus. Yes, I've seen Jesus. Did you ask him what I told you to ask him? She says, yes, I asked him for a list of all of your sins. And the man says, okay, what did he say? And she says, his exact words were, I don't remember. 
It is so hard for us to imagine a God who forgives and forgets, partially because we are so bad at it. But that is exactly what it means to stand in all of the light of God's love. I'm going to give some of you a life verse. It comes from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 2 is is maybe something that, that you need today. It says, simply wash me clean from my, what's that word? Purify me from my sin. Man, think about those women that found themselves at Jesus' feet, right? Everybody else wanted to heap guilt on them. But in that moment, they were free, right? If you read a little bit further in Psalm 51, you'll find these immortal words. I'm sure you already know them. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Unseal my lips that my mouth may praise you. You see, we all have shadows and skeletons in our backgrounds. But listen, there is something bigger in this world than, than, than we are. There's something bigger. Uh, is, this thing that's bigger is full of grace and mercy and patience and ingenuity. And the moment the focus of your life shifts from your badness to his goodness and the question becomes not what I have done, but what can he do? Release from remorse can happen. Miracle of miracles. You can be forgiven. You can forgive yourself because you are forgiven. You can accept yourself because you are accepted and begin to start building up the very places you once tore down. There is grace to help in every time of trouble and that grace is the secret of being able to Forgive yourselves. Trust it. I was recently turned on to uh, uh, an author. His name is uh, Richard Selzer. He's a, he's a doctor and surgeon, and uh, he wrote a great book called Mortal Lessons. And in his book, he, he kind of documents his time in, in, in the medical field and in surgery and in medicine, and he documents his interactions with people. But, but really, he's paying attention to, in his practice, for signs of God. And in it, he, uh, he tells the story of a woman he actually did surgery on. The woman had a, uh, had a tumor in her cheek, and he had to do surgery to remove the tumor or it was going to end up killing her and all that kind of stuff. And as a part of the surgery, he actually cuts one of the nerves in the woman's face, and he had to do it. I want to share with you his own words. Here's what he writes about that experience. He says, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in, in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed the religious fervor, with religious fervor, the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the 
of the bed, and together they seemed to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me in private. Who are they, I asked myself. He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously and greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. And all at once I know who he is. I stand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, the young husband bends to kiss her crooked mouth And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. In John it says, if we say that we have no sin, we're just deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. The reality is that we are all pretty screwed up. Me too. And if somehow, if that's not you, you're in the wrong place. Every one of us is broken and, and busted, misshapen and deformed because of our sin. But God, despite our deformity, showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And nothing can separate us from that love in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you one final quote, and then I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion, and we have the table set up around the room. The quote comes from from Paul Tillich, and I'll just put it on the screen. Maybe let it rest there with you for a moment. He simply and rightly says that faith is the courage to accept acceptance to accept that God loves you and me, not, not as we should be, but as we are. Because you are never going to be as you should be. Do you remember what Jesus told Mary, the sister of Martha? Do you remember what he told her? He says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. How about you? All of the women who find themselves at Jesus' feet have discovered the one thing. They've accepted it. And in their acceptance came real release and freedom 
and life. They moved themselves past all of their guilt and shame into the light of God's love. And I invite you to do the same. Despite your state of grace or disgrace, the love of God, the unconditional Niagara waterfall of God love is open and available to you and powerful enough to cleanse you from all sin. And I invite you into it today. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for its power. Father God, man, forgive me for the, for the times I've been too macho to be loved on. God, forgive me my pride for the, the moments when I've said I could do it all myself and I could manage this thing and I could hold on to it. Father God, I lift up to you the, the, the sinner in this room, the screwed up one in this room who feels right now, maybe even right now, God, is stirring. They feel so undeserving, but God, it's all a lie. It's not true. Right now, you extend the most lavish, gracious love. You extend all of yourself to every person on this planet. And, and God, I can't even imagine. And it, it has nothing to do with, with our mistakes or, or, or the amazing, righteous things we've done. Father God, you extend your love because that's exactly who you are. And your son, when you sent him that day in that manger, was, it was just an extension of yourself. He was, you were full of love and he was full of love because that's who you are. And so, Father God, I think as we, as we get around Christmas and celebrate this season, Father God, let us cling to the one thing worth being concerned about. Father, let your love be known. Invite us again and, and let every heart in here be invited again, not just to the knowledge of your love or, or some verse that they'd memorize somewhere else, but Father God, move every person here into the full experience of your light and love. Let it dwell and let us dwell in that place and, and let it endure in us. And Father God, let our church, God, as we lift this church up to you and we, we serve your church, God, let it be a place where the light of love shines stronger and brighter than anything else. Father God, help us to accept acceptance. Remind us again that the sending of your son was an incredible moment of acceptance. You chose us and that you love us. Father God, wake us to this truth. Do not any longer allow us to dwell in darkness. And God, as we move into your light, help us to extend a hand to others to do the same. Father God, we honor you now and uh, we move into your light of love as we come around this table, a table of grace and forgiveness, a table of communion with your son. Bless us and move in us. We love you, Father. 
And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. I'm gonna move to the back corner. If there's a way I can pray for you or serve you, I'd love that chance. Otherwise, I encourage you to use this space to commune with God. Invite you to stand and enjoy communion together.